Welcome to NACSW's Podcast of the Month. Our podcast program makes available 20-minute samples of recordings of a wide variety of NACSW presentations and discussions on topics of particular interest to Christians in social work. Our Podcast of the Month program features a new sample podcast every 30 days for your listening pleasure. In addition, you can access the full-length version of this and all NACSW podcasts at no cost simply by becoming a member of NACSW or by ordering a copy of this podcast at a reasonable cost on NACSW's online bookstore. We hope you enjoyed today's sample podcast. Congregational and Community Responses to Vulnerable Older Persons, led by Dr. Dennis Myers, Professor of Social Work at the Baylor University School of Social Work, Waco, Texas. Today's audio conference workshop focuses on how social workers and congregations can respond to the impoverishment and isolation that inhabit the daily lives of a significant number of older persons. It calls attention to unique assets that energize congregational responsiveness and demonstrates how effective preparation, vision, attention to assets, care with congregational volunteers, awareness of barriers in ministry design, locate ministry at the point of greatest need and maximum input. So now without any further ado, I'm delighted to present our speaker, Dr. Dennis Myers. Dennis, it's all yours. Thank you very much, Rick. Welcome, everyone. My name is Dennis Myers. I'm with the School of Social Work at Baylor University. I want to welcome you for, to uh, welcome to our conference. I'm very mindful some of you are already deeply involved with older, impoverished persons, and I wish we had time for a conversation. I'm looking forward to that possibility perhaps in the future. Uh, joining me in the room today is Van Jones. Van Jones is currently uh, at Central Texas Senior, Senior Ministry, where he's a client coordinator. Van is the person that uh, activated my interest in this topic area. Van is, is doing this work on a daily basis, and I'm so honored that he's joined us today. I do want to also thank NACSW for offering this audio conference, and Rick, for, for your tremendous support for all that we're doing here. Uh, Van and I have, are, we're in the midst of a research project where we're interviewing 50 uh, uh, impoverished elders out of his client load, which we, which we randomly selected. Uh, I will be including some narrative from, their, from our conversations with them. We're very interested in hearing from them concerning how they make sense of their living, but also their re resiliency and their faith. And I, I think you'll be pleased with some of the narratives that we're able to include with this particular presentation. I have updated the PowerPoint. If you have an, an older copy, I'll be happy to, or Rick will be happy to send that to you so, so you can have that update. Van and I have also provided a paper that goes along with this presentation that you can follow as, as well and, and have for, for future reference. The thing that's most obvious to Van and I and to those of us that are serving this population group it, is that the need for services for impoverished elders is not going to decline, but will be increasing, particularly with the changes in health care. Well, this statement says it well. It says, witnessing firsthand the effects of increasing longevity on community life, every congregation finds at its doorstep the compelling demand for ministry with and for vulnerable older persons and their social, social networks. To give a sense of the day-to-day -day kinds of issues that impoverished elders face, We've included a couple of narratives. Here's the first one. Like today, my front bedroom door jammed, and I called for somebody to come 
that could get down on their knees and look whatever. There was a box that had come in the mail, and I set it down upright, and it was tall and narrow, and it fell over. And I didn't know there, but there was a cat in there. The cat knocked it over, and the box fell against the door, and I couldn't open it. And my checkbook was in there, and the cat was in there, and I needed to get in, the, in, in there, and I couldn't open the door. Another example from one of our narratives. They've been there a year, and I still don't know their name. I don't have a single neighbor that I can rely on, not one. If something happens, I'll just call 911. I fell two years or two and a half years ago. I dialed 911. I have falls all over the house. So I just crawl to the nearest phone, and I dial 911. And I crawl to the nearest door, and I unlock it for them, and they come and pick me up. And then about two months ago, I fell again. So I told them, I said, I could go another two years. They wanted to take me to the emergency room. I said, no, maybe if I could go another two years, it could be okay. But how else could I get a couple of good-looking guys to come to my house and pick me up on the floor, pick me up off the floor? I think a question that we would uh, want to address today is how can social workers empower congregations and religiously affiliated organizations to enact vision and initiatives that resonate with God's working in the lives of vulnerable older persons. The advantages or benefits, I think, for your participation, at least from my perspective, will be as follows. I would hope that our time together would deepen your compassion for older persons on, on the margins of community life in all of our communities. I think this conference will be of some help to you in discovering and matching assets for problem and need resolution. We also hope to enrich congregational responses to the overwhelming personal and environmental challenges faced by impoverished elders. And then lastly, to create and sustain effective congregation and community collaborations to assist this population group. Our agenda today, we hope to raise awareness of the assets and needs of older persons who struggle with spiritual and relational economic and environmental vulnerability and highlight the importance of congregational awareness of key public and community resources. Hope to specify the role that social workers play in creating and mediating resiliency-based transactions between vulnerable elders and congregational and community resources. Hope to call attention to the unique assets that energize congregational responsiveness and demonstrate how effective preparation, vision, attention to assets, care with congregational volunteers, awareness of barriers, and ministry design can locate ministry at the point of need and maximum impact. A five-dimensional model for design of congregational responses is proposed, and we demonstrate how congregations can form strategic alliances to strengthen resiliency of older persons on the margins of community life. It's important that we bring a person that struggles in this area into our conversation, so I wanted to introduce you to Mrs. Stewart. Mrs. Stewart is a 69-year-old disabled African-American woman who resides in a low-income area of a mid-sized city in Texas. She is single and lives in a rent house, spending much of her time alone. At the present time, a 19-year-old unemployed nephew lives with her. Ms. Stewart suffers from severe arthritis, which which renders her quite immobile and unable to cook for herself. She has been diagnosed with uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and glaucoma, and she is anxious and depressed. She occasionally shows evidence of confusion. Shortly following a move to another rental in July, she found herself confronted with financial instability. 
She is vague about the reasons, but attempting to house her nephew must have placed some burden on her low-income budget. She was one month behind on her rent and was having difficulty buying food. Her $700 monthly income does not allow for much leeway, and once behind, it's difficult for her to catch up. Her main joy is attending church, and her minister and her wife provide transportation each Sunday. Like many of her generation, the first thing she sees upon entering the house is a Bible. Ms. Stewart stated that she always managed to take care of herself and considers herself a survival. And we'll be referring to Mrs. Stewart as we go through our time together and talk more about her situation. Old adults are vulnerable because of difficulties with personal care, self-neglect, medication management, and unsafe living environments. Vulnerability is defined by Cassidy et al. as the failure to engage in acts of self-care, adequately regulate safe and independent living, or take actions to prevent conditions or situations that adversely affect personal health and safety. I'm noting that you are involved in the chat experience, and I'll try to respond to those as we, as we come to our time for questions. Older adults are vulnerable because of difficulties in personal care, self-neglect, medication management, and unsafe living environments, as I've just stated. They can be found in homes like running water, air conditioning or heating, and in some instances, inadequate flooring. Those that have researched the area conclude that, that the neglect, both self-neglect and community neglect, that older persons experience is a consequence of the victim's lack of economic resources to provide for themselves the basic necessities of life. These persons are segregated, isolated, and marginalized, and are, have extreme difficulty in daily survival. So the vulnerabilities that you see are certainly physically evident, but they're also psychologically and spiritually evident for the persons that are at the heart of our concern. And in trying to profile this, this vulnerability, we can comment that the persons that are our concern are alone and impoverished. They live in hidden corridors of subsidized apartments, substandard housing, and low-end motel rooms of every street and rural route in America. They live in the crucible of increasing economic health care and community service scarcity. The weight of recession and cutbacks and health and human service press on their vulnerabilities with a fierceness that is unprecedented. You see there the profile in terms of age and gender. The one I would point out most significantly, obviously, is the last. There's a considerable loneliness in this population group and a devastating kind of in invisibleness in our communities. This kind of vulnerability often leads to a loss of hope, and in our narratives, we encounter this kind of response. The, the interviewer asks, do you believe that each day has potential? The interviewee responds, no, the same old, same old. The interviewer comments, can you see a light at the end of the tunnel? The interviewee responds, no, I'm not looking for that anyway. The interviewer comments, can you bring about positive change? No, I'm stuck in this mess. You feel stuck? Oh, I am giving voice to the sense of loss of hope that sometimes occurs as a result of this crushing vulnerability. In terms of the impact economically and in terms of inadequate housing, we know that 5% of persons 65 plus live in, in physically inadequate housing. The National Academy of Science estimates that 20% of, of Americans who live 60 
who are over 65 live below the poverty line, and that's about 8.6 million people. This 20% figure includes unreimbursed medical and other expenses. And of course, poverty has a, an unusually devastating effect on African American women as well as Hispanic women as well. The social determinants of vulnerability are stated there before you. The uh, low income and low education are factors, obviously. Lack of social support, as we've mentioned, very significantly expressed. Uh, inadequate diet and food insecurity become points of, of daily struggle for some of the folks that are the heart of our concern today. Uh, let me just tell you one comment, uh, one question comment that came up that you might want to uh, respond to. Um, Carolyn mentioned that I am in an affluent community. Our elder congregants have many of the same problems as those who are not impoverished. Uh, and then Beth um, from Nebraska commented in response to that question, the difference is the type of care they will receive if they need out-of-home care. In my experience, Medicaid-approved facilities are not the same as private pay. So those were a couple of the questions and comments. If you um, would like to respond to those, I'm sure that would be appreciated. Well, I just appreciate it. That's exactly the point. We're focusing on vulnerability due to economic status, but clearly in all our communities, even in affluent areas, the notion of aloneness, the notion of invisibility is just as rampant. So I appreciate those comments very much. So we're ready to move on. The next. Um, anyone at this point with a question or comment, again, if you can um, hit star six on your keypad, you'll be able to be heard. Uh, maybe uh, for my peace of mind, just to make sure that um, that's working, uh, Bill, Bill Tarr, I see that you're on the call. Can you just hit star six on your pad and say, hey, that way we know that um, folks have the capacity to um, enter into the conversation if they'd like? Hi, Rick. I'm part of it. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Uh, so, a uh, last chance for anyone who wants to hit star six and make a question or comment. Okay, Dennis, we'll, um, we'll go back to you then. Okay, the offset vulnerability is, is re resilience. I indicated uh, Van Jones, my colleague, uh, really has, has a deep interest in understanding how in the world these persons seem to be so resilient and faithful in spite of the kind of vulnerabilities they face. So our research study also looked at resilience, which we define as the capacity to bounce back, to adapt, to have enough elasticity, flexibility, pliability to incorporate or instigate change. The crux of all resilience is relationship. And then you have a quote by Zeiss et al. indicating the, the the uh, fact that older adults demonstrate greater resilience in response to difficult or challenging life experiences, and they're better able to maintain a positive emotional state than younger adults. Uh, and then, of course, the connection between resiliency and spirituality. Fry notes that religiosity and spirituality explain more variance in an older person's sense of well-being than did socio-demographic variables, resources, health, and life events. Which helps explain the times when Van would sit with a person in abject, abject poverty and yet sense a deep sense of, of resilience and spirituality about them. So the question really shifts for us from how can redu we reduce vulnerability to how can we increase resilience? Here are a couple of uh, quotes from our narratives regarding faith and resilience. 
The interview asks, what helps you make it day to day? The respondent replies, the grace of God, the goodness of God gives me. From the time I open my eyes to the time I go to bed at night. Another, you know it's easy to say whatever God leads me, but you know when you get down to it, I ask myself, what are my plans? Because I don't intend to die. My plan is to be able to walk free of the walker and the cane, and then when I, when I do that, I'll be free to do whatever else comes. And here the strong theme of resilience and faith in spite of vulnerability. We also receive narratives of persons that, that the vulnerability does overtake them, and we do not see the same connection. Here's an example. The interview, interviewee says, I don't think about God anymore. Interview responds, do you feel a connection at all, to all of life? The interview says, no. All right, let's see. I find strength in religion. As the interview, interviewer asks questions to follow up, the interviewee responds, no. I have two sisters that are, say, they're religious, but who wants to be like that? So if, if resilience is a modifiable construct, con congregations and their community partners have an opportunity to reduce the spiritual, economic, and environmental impoverishment, isolation, health decline, and loss of personhood that diminish resilience and at the same time energize the self-esteem, thriving faith, and, and social, support, social support that increases it. As we identify our population concern, the primary needs that we would expect are as we would imagine, finances, home house repair, transportation, medical dental care, and advocacy. But I also would point out the top three, identity, intimacy, and significance. These are the most significant in some ways to the persons of our concern, often overlooked, unfortunately. So what can what can mean services are helpful currently to deal with this population? Responding to the needs of this group has never been as, as critical as now. Uh, there are a set of public and private provision that is, that is available in community, and these are identifiable across these domains of service. The web of potential resources can be organized into these categories, food security, protection legal services, in-home and support services, transportation, medical dental, housing, case coordination, and income. And then there are key community players that most of us are pretty familiar with, uh, Adult Protective Services, Area Agencies on Aging, the relatively new, at least in our state, Aging and Disability Resource Centers, which is an attempt to integrate services in community for this population group, Social Security, VA, Qualified Mental, uh, Medicare Beneficiary uh, is a possibility in the Medicare, Obviously, Medicaid is a big player. Local NGOs and our religiously affiliated organizations are at play. EOAC, community development, particularly around housing opportunities, home health care, and city transportation. Non-governmental uh, organizations and religiously affiliated programs complement and augment services in these categories. In some cases, these organizations contract with federal programs to deliver services. An example is, is, is the nutritional programs 
funded by the Old Americans Act, attended to, to be delivered by NGOs. In addition, NGOs offer services that augment public provision, such as guardianship, utility payments, and transportation. Congregations may have their own versions of home-delivered meals, home maintenance, and monitoring services. So we can, can begin to identify a web of services. You see before your chart, which identifies the service domain, federal, state funded services, NGO, religiously affiliated, and then sometimes complementary congregational services. An examination of this, these range of resources might lead one to conclude that ample federal, state, and non-governmental provisions available to address at least basic needs. There are, however, significant barriers to effective connections between public provision and utilization of resources. Low utilization patterns for food stamps are an example. Thank you for listening today to this 20-minute sample of NACSW's Podcast of the Month featured selection. Just a reminder that you can access the full-length version of this and all NACSW podcasts at no cost by simply becoming a member of NACSW or by ordering a copy of this podcast at a reasonable cost on NACSW's online bookstore. We also hope that you will consider participating in additional NACSW activities and events, including NACSW's upcoming convention in the fall, our quarterly audio conference workshops, which provide CEUs accredited by the Association of Social Work Boards, and our online continuing education program. Also, we invite you to join NACSW's Facebook group or our Facebook fan page. For additional information about these and other NACSW benefits and services, you can go to our website at www.nacsw.org. Thanks again for listening in to our podcast session today.